Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Today, I want to start with a personal question. Are you going through a conversion right now? Are you going through a conversion? You know, when Christians talk about conversion, they think of it as a big, spiritual, dramatic event in their lives. And, you know, maybe they went on a retreat or they go to a conference or they're in the chapel and they encounter Jesus in a new, really powerful way. And they decide to turn their life around, to turn away from sin and commit their lives to following Jesus. And, and they surrender their lives to him. And these could be amazing moments in our lives. Maybe, maybe you've had a moment like that or a season in life like that where Maybe it was back a long time ago when you were in a youth group, or maybe you went to a certain conference in your young adult years, or maybe it was through a time of great trial and suffering and you needed to depend on God like never before, so you entrusted your life in a new way to Him. These are amazing blessings in our lives, and and God uses that for our path forward in walking with Him. But did you know that in the Catholic tradition, conversion is not a one-time event? No, no, it's, it's meant to be ongoing throughout our lives. In fact, the church talks about this ongoing conversion, that God is always pressing in and inviting us to new ways to follow him, to surrender more, to trust more, to love more, to sacrifice more, to always be on the lookout for sins that are creeping up in our lives in ways that we're falling into selfishness and to turn away from that and turn toward him. In fact, that's what the word conversion means in Scripture. Uh, the Greek word metanoia means to turn or to turn around. And we're turning from sin, turning around, turning away from sin, from selfishness, and turning ever more toward Jesus. Think about the Blessed Virgin Mary. She gave her initial yes, her fiat at the Annunciation, and that was a foundational moment in her life. But as St. John Paul II said, she had to continually renew that fiat to renew her commitment to God, where God was inviting her throughout her life new ways to grow in trust and love and surrender and sacrifice. And God wants to do the same with us. But what I want to look at today, I want to take a deeper look at what is conversion, ongoing conversion, and I want us to see it's more than just simply turning away from all those really bad sins out there in the world. There's many other ways God's challenging us to turn away from the false stories we tell ourselves, the false images we have of God, and how these also keep us from truly growing in deeper union with Him. This is what the ongoing conversion is going to be about, removing all of those obstacles to a deeper intimacy with our God, to turn away from those so we can turn more to Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, And uh, my wife and I, Beth, we just got back from doing a marriage conference down in the Diocese of Wichita for so many Catholic faithful couples. Uh, it was awesome to spend the whole day with them this last weekend. You know, I think this is this topic of ongoing conversion is is very applicable to married life because marriage also isn't just a one-time yes, a one-time moment. You know, we had that moment on our wedding day, we said yes, we said our vows, and now we're just coasting as husband and wife. No, no, all throughout our married life, God is calling us to a deeper conversion, a deeper surrender, a deeper union. He's calling us to to turn away from those things that keep us from deeper friendship with each other. And this, this is what the process of marriage is all about. Marriage isn't a one-time event. 
It's a lifelong process and there's stuff that comes up in marriage. There's ways that we're going to be challenged. We're going to feel hurt when our spouse lets us down or our spouse is going through a hard time. In those moments, those aren't just little problems to be solved in a marriage, a little difficulty. No, no. Those are, those are actually places to encounter Jesus, to see Jesus's hand there, that he's giving us the opportunity to love more. He's giving us the opportunity to forgive more, giving us the opportunity to get out of ourselves more. When we feel overwhelmed with family life and we're just drowning with the kids and we don't have any sleep and we're exhausted, those are actually the places God's inviting us to stretch open our heart and to receive his love and bring his love into our family life. So if, if you're interested in a tune-up on your marriage, you want to take that marriage to the next level and not just coast in your married life, but have this ongoing conversion in your marriage, you can check out the book that Beth and I wrote. It's called The Good, The Messy, and The Beautiful, The Joys and Struggles of Real Married Life. Now, I want to turn to this topic of ongoing conversion, and I want to bring us into a biblical story that, that really, really brings this, this point out uh, so beautifully. It's a story you're familiar with. I'm sure many of you have heard it from your childhood, but I want you to hear it today with new ears. I want you to look at this story with fresh eyes. And I want you to see more subtly what Luke's gospel's telling us in this great story. It's the parable that Jesus told known as the parable of the prodigal son. And again, I know you're familiar with the story, but I want to go deeper into it because it's going to inspire us, but I, I think it's also going to challenge us to find new ways to live this ongoing conversion so we can be growing in the spiritual life and not becoming stagnant. Because that's what can happen. That we can have those moments where I, you know, I was on fire with my faith. There was this period of my life where I, I was doing everything and wanting to grow and uh, grow in prayer and grow, grow in virtue. And, and then after a while, I could start to become lukewarm. I don't become a bad person. I, I still go to church and I still volunteer and I, I say some prayers. I'm involved in Catholic things. But I can tell my heart's not as generous as it used to be with Jesus. I'm not, I'm not looking for those new ways that he's inviting me to follow him. And this story, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, is going to surprise you. I, I know you're all going to get the basic level of conversion where the, the younger son will turn away from sin and come back home. Okay, that, that's the basic level of a conversion. But did you know that this parable is inviting us to take the second and third steps of conversion, the deeper levels of conversion? The first one's foundational, absolutely essential, but God invites us to so much more. Are you ready for this journey? Let's jump in to the parable of the prodigal son. So again, I want you to hear the story. And you, you know, of course, the, you know, Jesus tells the story that there's a father that has two sons, and the younger son asks for the inheritance. But to hear the story in the, in the culture in which it was given, the first century Jewish world, this is so horrific. I can't believe that the son is doing this because the inheritance is supposed to be given when the father dies. And so for the son to ask for the inheritance while his father's still living, that's just shocking. It's appalling. The son's basically saying, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying to his father. I wish you were dead. This inheritance is more important to me than you are. Wow. I mean, that, that, if the story ended there, this is just a very shocking story. But it gets worse. It gets worse. The son does the unthinkable. He gets the inheritance. The inheritance would be his portion of the family land. And you know what he does? He sells it. He sells the family land. 
this is horrific. You see, the land was not his to sell. It was the family's land. And he, while he gets it as an inheritance, it's not his own private property. He's like a steward. He's a custodian caring for the family's land. In other words, this land had been in the family for many generations. And his ancestors from one generation to the next took care of it. They stood in that role as the custodian, as the steward, as the trustee. They cared for that land so that the subsequent, the later generations could be blessed by it. And now he's receiving the land. He's able to be blessed by the land and and, and his job is to care for it so that his descendants, the generations after him, will be blessed by this land. But what does this son do? In one single act, he just goes and sells the land. He gives it away. And the whole family is going to suffer as a result of this. This is so selfish. He just sold the family land, and then he spends it on loose living, sexual immorality, prostitutes, the Bible tells us. So this first level of conversion that the son is going to go through is the most obvious one. He finally comes to his senses. He realizes, I I have done wrong. I have sinned, and, and he realized, I, I, I need to go back home. I need to go back to my father. So that's the foundational level of conversion, and that's the one I think we mostly intuitively get. We need to turn away from sin. Conversion, remember that word, metanoia, means to turn, to turn back, to turn around. He's turning away from his sin. He's acknowledging it. He's turning away from it, and he's turning back to the father, a foundational first step in our conversion. And we should examine our lives. Are there areas right now where there's something I'm doing I need to change? You know, maybe there's a certain way I've been treating my spouse. And deep down, I, I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I've been kind of rationalizing it because saying, well, my spouse has been doing this or I'm just going through a hard time right now or I've just got so much at work, so I just need to do this. I've been kind of rationalizing a certain behavior and I just need to stop. I need to repent. I need to convert to turn away and treat my spouse better right now. Maybe that's what God's inviting me to do, or maybe there's something I'm doing in my moral life. Maybe uh, I'm single and I'm in a relationship with with someone, I'm dating someone, but I'm crossing certain boundaries on on physical intimacy, and that's reserved for marriage. And and I know that, but I keep kind of falling into this with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, and, and I just need to stop. I need to change because I want to have a pure heart. If I'm going to marry this person, I want to go into my marriage with the right foundation. And we can't keep doing these things. Maybe, yeah, maybe we're not having sex, but we're, we're doing things that are meant to be leading up to that. that. That's for marriage. Maybe that's what I need to turn away from. Maybe I am proud and I don't listen to other people. Whatever it is, you know, we all have our stuff, our sins that we need to turn away from. And we should always be asking because unless you've become a saint, you have new sins constantly growing in your heart. <laughs> I know I do. And that's why I got to go to confession all the time because I, I know I need to be more aware of the ways different vices, selfishness, pride creeps into my heart. And God's constantly inviting me to that ongoing conversion. So that's the basic level. And I think we mostly get that. But I want to talk more about what happens next. You see, the younger son, he tells himself, he's thinking about, okay, I'm going to go back to my father. You know, um, but what am I going to say to him? And he tells himself in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, verse 21, he says, I'll go to my father and say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Think about this. Think about his mentality here. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Do you ever feel not worthy? 
you know, in the, in the son's case, he feels like he's just done too much harm. He's made too much of a mess in his life. He's just broken certain relationships. There's no way he can change. He's not going to change his situation. He's not going to change himself. He's, he's not worthy. He's not lovable. He can't be forgiven. He can't be made new. The best he can hope for is to be treated as an employee. That's what he's thinking. You know, uh, I'll go back and, you know, at least I'll get some food and, you know, I'll, I'll go back and just work for my dad. You know, my dad will have enough pity on me. You know, he's, he's clearly not going to let me back in the family. I'm not even expecting that, but he'll at least have some pity on me maybe. And maybe he'll take me in and let me at least work for him. I'll get some wages from him and I don't have to starve. He says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever have that feeling? I'm not worthy. Do you feel you're just so far from perfect? You feel like you fail in many ways. You fail in your prayer life. You're not good at prayer. You just get distracted and you just, just don't know how to pray well, or you're not good at being consistent in prayer and you feel like you're a failure. Do you feel like that maybe in your friendships that you're, you're not as joyful as other people are. You're not as generous as other people in your friend group are. <laughs> uh, you, you see other people's virtues and you just notice you, you fall short. You feel like a failure. Or maybe in your, your family life, like you, you don't keep the house clean. Your kids aren't disciplined. You can lose your temper with them. You just, I'm just not, I'm, I'm far from perfect as a mom, as a dad. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I think this, this shame, this shame that can creep into our heart, it's common, but it's not from God. It's not from God. No, this self-hatred that can creep in, this self-condemnation, God doesn't want that for us. The father in the story does not want this for his son. In fact, when the son comes back, you know, he, he comes back home, the father rushes out to meet him and the son begins saying his lines. He says, father, I sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father just cuts him off. He was going to go on and say, treat me as one of your hired servants. But as soon as the son talks about not being worthy, the father cuts him off. He does not let him complete that sentence. And our heavenly father does the same thing. He doesn't want us to, to focus on, am I worthy or not? Because as we say in that prayer at Mass, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word. We trust that if God only says the word, we're going to be healed. It's not about, am I perfect? Did I achieve a lot in prayer? Am I achieving a lot in my spiritual life? Did I achieve a lot in rooting out weaknesses and growing in these virtues? We want to get better at prayer and we want to grow in our spiritual life. We want to grow in virtue, of course. And we need to give our best and be very generous with God in those things. But in the end, it's not about being worthy. It's a freely given gift to us, his love for us. That's why the father cuts him off and he kills the fatted calf. He has this great feast for his son. And what does he say? He says, this, my son was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. He's found. In other words, what is he saying? He says, this is my son. Yes, you were dead in sin. <laughs> yes, you were very lost, far away. But one thing never changed all these years. You are my son. You always have been and you always will be. And I love you. Our father looks at us the same way. 
We may wander, we may fall, we may even become dead, spiritually dead in mortal sin. That might even happen. But even our venial sins and many our many weaknesses, the many areas where we feel we fail and we're, we're just far from perfect, the Father doesn't give us a scorecard on how clean we keep the house. <laughs> he doesn't give us a scorecard on how disciplined our kids are at Mass. He doesn't give us a scorecard on how attentive we are in our prayer life. You were 99.9% attentive today. Good job. A, ding. No, that's not how it works. Again, I want to be clear. We should try to have our kids be disciplined. We, we, we can grow in that. We can grow in our prayer life. We can grow in our, our virtues. We need to do that. But whether we're virtuous or not virtuous, whether we're faithful in prayer or not faithful in prayer, whether we're kind or unkind, whether we're generous or selfish, whatever it may be, one thing never changes. You are my son. You are my daughter. That's what the father says. You are my son. You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And I love you. You know, there's two little details in the story that, that really open up the father's heart for us. It, it, it's this little tiny details. It says when the, while the son was still at a distance, he's coming back and he was still at a distance. The father saw him. The father saw him at a distance. What that tells us is the son wasn't rejected. The son wasn't forgotten. The son wasn't abandoned. No, all these years, the father missed the son, longed for the son to come back. He loves the son and he's yearning and just can't wait for him to return. And he's always looking on the horizon, waiting for him. And at the first glimpse, when the sun comes over the horizon, the father sees him. He's the first one to notice. He sees him. He's always been looking for him. And the father's doing the same thing with us, no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've done it, no matter how much we've hurt others or hurt our relationship with God, the father's looking out at us. And he's looking out, not waiting to come and punish us. No, he's looking out because he, he just wants to embrace us. And that's the next little detail. It says that the father ran to meet him. Now, that little detail is important because in first century Jewish culture, an older man wouldn't just run. No, no, he had to walk very intentionally, very deliberately. He was dignified. You know, he had to walk in a dignified way. He would never just run. But here the father throws off all social custom, all public honor, and just forgets all that and just rushes out, runs to see his son and embrace him. The father wants to embrace you. So whatever you're feeling not worthy of, whatever part of your heart's feeling not worthy, I'm, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad husband. I, I fail in these ways. I struggle with this sin. I keep bringing the same sin to confession. Whatever area of your life where you're feeling not worthy, know that the Father says to you, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And he's rushing out with open arms to meet you. All we have to do is turn back to him, especially in confession. I want to be clear, you, you want to bring your sins to confession. It's not like, oh, God just loves me and it's, you know, I don't have to do anything. No, no, we need to repent. This, the son repented. He turned away from his sin. He left the prostitutes behind, his sinful ways behind. He returned to the father's home. But he found something even greater than he was hoping for. He just thought he would get a pardon, pity forgiveness, mercy. All right, I'll pardon you. That's what he was hoping for. All right, I'll let you work in the backyard. I'll pay you some money, but don't ever come in here for dinner. <laughs> I think that's what that son was expecting, and we can kind of view God the same way. But no, God's love is freely given. It's freely bestowed on us. We're not worthy, but he says the word, and we're healed, and we're changed. 
Now, the last part of the story I think is most important, and this is the part of the older, the older son, and this gives us an, another layer of the conversion God calls us to. Think about that older son. He, he did everything right, right? You know, he was disciplined. He was obedient. He's not the one that sold the family property. He didn't go out and spend time with prostitutes. No, no, no. He was obedient. He did everything the father asked, and he thought he did everything he needed to be a good son, to win his father's approval to earn his father's love. But that was the problem. He thought he had to earn his father's love. You see, he complains to the father. You know, I remember he's all angry. He's like, what? why did you kill the fatted calf for my brother, the brother that shamed the family? You know, you know why, why, why did you kill the calf for him? <laughs> you know, I've been obedient all these years. I've been faithful and working for you and you never killed the fatted calf for me. Notice what's happening here is the, the older brother Think about how he views his relationship with his father. Is this a loving relationship between a father and the son? No, this is very transactional. Here's the irony is that the older brother looks like he sees his relationship with the father as, as, as a, he's a hired servant and he's working for his dad. And hey, I, I worked for you all these years and I never got the fatted calf. He's the one that views himself as a hired servant. He has a transactional view of his relationship with his father. Do you have that kind of view of your relationship with God? I think sometimes we could think that, right? I, I do, if I do X for God, then God will do Y for me. You know, if I obey, I say my prayers, I know my faith, I do good things, I avoid sin, then I, that's where I find my security. That's where I find my identity. And, and I trust that God will do then he'll do good things for me. I'll be blessed by him. I'll have a good life and because I'm doing all these things for God and I'll feel good. Most of all, I'll feel good about myself. I can feel good about my spiritual life because, you know, I'm doing these things. I checked off all the right boxes. Do you ever fall into that? Where we can have a transactional view of our relationship with God. We could start thinking, hey, you know, I, I know the faith. I understand it better. I'm, I'm orthodox. I have right doctrine. Check off that box. I got all the right answers. I want to be clear, having right-minded faith is, is essential, right? I, I, my mind needs to be formed by God's revelation and the teachings of the church. It's absolutely essential. But sometimes I think we could find our identity there. That, that though, I, I'm, I've got all the right beliefs. I'm orthodox. That, that makes me a good Christian. And I'm finding my security there. No, no, no. There's deeper work God wants to do in my soul. I need the right doctrine. Absolutely essential. But there's deeper work God wants to do. He wants to change my heart. And am I aware of the ways I'm selfish, the ways I don't care for other people, the ways I, am I aware? I can't just cling to my orthodoxy to just check off the box and make, and feel good about myself that I'm a good Christian. No, there's a lot. I could be super orthodox and still be a jerk. <laughs> I could be super orthodox and be selfish in my marriage. I could be believing all the right things on all the tough moral issues even, you know, and, and I could still not trust God with my life and surrender everything to him. Jesus wants more than my orthodoxy. He wants my heart. He wants more than my obedience. I mean, that's another thing. I could just say, hey, I'm obedient. I, I do all the right things. I say the right prayers. I, I have all these devotions. I don't sin like all those other people. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm, I'm not in those really serious sins. And so I, it's my obedience I'm clinging to. But again, God doesn't want my obedience merely. I want to be clear. It, obedience is essential. We have to be obedient to everything God asks us to do. We have to follow his moral law. 
We have to follow the right ways of worship and go to Mass every Sunday and have a life of prayer. All those things are absolutely essential. It's just that those aren't the, the places we find our identity. That's not, that's not where we stop. And, and many Christians will stop here. I have the right beliefs. I have the right actions. I'm obedient. I mean, imagine if, if my kids were obedient, but they didn't trust me. They, they did what I said. Go do this. Oh, okay. Yes, dad. But they did it out of fear or they did it out of, well, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do all these good things this weekend so that uh, dad will let me next week do this. <laughs> like they had a transactional view. They're just going to be obedient so they can get something out of me. All right. Oh, our right, dad asked me to do these chores. I'll do the chores. I'll do them really well so that then he buys me this or then he lets me go play with my friends. Imagine if that's the only way, reason they were obedient. They had a transactional view of their relationship with me. That would break my heart. I don't want my kids' obedience merely. I, I want their hearts. I want them to love me. I want them to trust me. I, I want to have a close union with them. I don't just want obedience. Obedience is essential, but it's just the starting point. Do you have a transactional relationship with your Heavenly Father? Are there areas in your life where you you cling to your identity as as a Christian and, and find your security? Am I, am I on the right Christian path? Okay, I believe the right things and I do the right things. God may be inviting you to go deeper and to find, to find his amazing love even when you stumble and you fall because here's the thing, we're all gonna fall. We're fallen human beings. We're all gonna make mistakes. So even though I might have the right doctrines and even though I may not have the same sins other people out there in the secular world may have, I, I have my own weaknesses. I do have sins. I do hurt other people. I am selfish. And in those moments, I, my identity, it can be shattered when I start to become aware of those areas of, of weakness. My identity can be shattered unless I see myself through the eyes of the Father. The Father that looks at me and says, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the prodigal son and think about where you are right now. Which part of the prodigal son story relates to you the most right now? How is God inviting you to go through an ongoing conversion right now? You know, maybe it's that first level. Maybe there's just something right now you're doing and you need to change. You, you, for too long, you've been putting this change off. You know you need to change that thing. Stop watching that show. A Christian should not have those images before their eyes. You've been rationalizing it, saying everybody else watches it, or it's not that big of a deal, or it doesn't affect you. You know it does. Don't let those images enter into your soul. Maybe that's the thing you need to stop doing. Or maybe you, you keep falling into gossip, and you just need to stop gossiping. Stop talking about other people. Stop being so curious about everybody else's life. Uh, or maybe you're envious of someone. There's someone you're envious of. You're very competitive with this person and you just need to stop and start praying for them and pray that God blesses them. Go pray the litany of humility for them, for yourself, but pray that they may be, as the beautiful prayer says, they may be honored. They may be recognized more than you. Maybe that's the thing you need to change. Whatever it is, we all have this stuff and maybe God's inviting you at that first level of conversion to, to turn away from a certain sin that has been creeping in your heart right now. A Christian should always be on the lookout for those moments of conversion. But maybe you're struggling with a certain perfectionism. Maybe you're struggling with a certain desire to find your identity and getting everything right. And like the prodigal son, you feel like you're not worthy and you need to just rely on the father's love more 
and to find that that love can't be earned. It can only be received and it's a free gift. And God wants you to experience that instead of trying to cling to your perfectionism to feel good about yourself. You will feel so much better about yourself when you live in the Father's love, not in your perfectionism. Or maybe you've struggled with that transactional relationship idea, you know, and doing the right things and all that. And you need to also have a conversion of heart and find yourself in the Father's love. Whatever part of the story, I pray something's touched you here today and that you will respond generously like Mary and say yes, not just once, but over and over again throughout your life. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. You can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. And if you want to check out that book that my wife and I wrote on marriage, you can go to ascensionpress.com. You can find free videos that Beth and I gave uh, about marriage, or you can check out our book called The Good, The Messy, and The Beautiful, The Joys and Struggles of Real Married Life. God bless. God bless.